Well, good morning again. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Philemon. We're going to continue to work through this amazing little, little epistle. It has so much in it for us. So much for us to glean and take away from it. Before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we love you and we rejoice that we are known by you, that we can come to you and, and boldly approach your throne of grace and bring our petitions to you. What a kind and generous and gentle Father you are to us, and we rejoice that you have saved us and, and, and brought us into fellowship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. May we this morning be reminded of the wonders of our salvation as we examine these passages from Philemon, this little book that you have preserved and saw fit to give to us and is applicable today as it was so many, many years ago. We rejoice in the pictures that it paints for us, the, the, the picture of how in Jesus Christ we can um, work through difficult situations and, and, and troubles and, and difficulties. We rejoice, Lord, that you have provided us a way that in the context of our salvation, we are new creation in Jesus Christ, and that by that and, and by reflecting on that, we are able to do things that we otherwise could not do or would not do. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy towards us, and thank you for renewing us and making us new creation in Jesus Christ. Thank you for rescuing us from the domain of darkness. Thank you for placing us in your realm of light. May our hearts contemplate and revel in the wonder of that, and may we rejoice continuously and be uplifted by the wonder of our redemption. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you that it is so great, and thank you that you saw fit to save us. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Philemon, let's go ahead and just begin with verse 1. Let's read here this morning a passage now that I I'm certain it's becoming more familiar to you, and I hope so, one that you're beginning to appreciate at a greater level of depth and, and love. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is sending my very heart, 
whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, we understand that as we've been examining this little epistle, that ultimately what we're finding is that Philemon is the, the book of Colossians in action, in application. In particular, Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17 are certainly at play here as Paul deals with the demonstration of these virtues, the virtues that he would identify in, the, in that former passage in the life of Philemon. There's an expectation on the part of Paul that Philemon, as a believer, is going to indeed demonstrate the reality of his conversion, the reality of what God has done for him by the way that he, re, he treats and receives Onesimus the slave that he owns, who ran away, in all likelihood stole from him, and then by God's providence ended up meeting Paul in Rome and was saved and is sent back now to Philemon as a, as a brother in Christ, also as a slave, but still, importantly, as his brother. In all of this, the point the Apostle Paul is putting across is the fact that if we are Christians, our relationships with Christ, by definition, has unbelievably far-reaching effect on how we relate to everyone and everything in life. And so what we see then that for Paul, our lives do not simply take place in a vacuum, that there is real effect to salvation, and the effect is the manner in which we relate to each other and the manner in which we resolve problems and the manner in which we cooperate and work with each other within the church. It's really quite beautiful how Paul does this, and it's really amazing to me that Philemon has been preserved by God for us. There's certainly a lot here for us to take into consideration, and unpacking Philemon is quite remarkable. The depth of it, the content of it, is certainly appropriate and applicable and encouraging and convicting. Well, today we're going to be looking at, uh, in particular, verse 18 and 19, per perhaps maybe 20, and there's a lot here. Last week we considered verses 15 and 16 and 17 in part, the idea of Paul sending Onesimus back to Philemon, not just as a slave, but as a, as a brother, one who now Paul would hold in the same regard, if not slightly higher than he would even Philemon. Onesimus is very important to Paul. 
so much so that Paul wanted him to stay in Rome. Paul and Onesimus obviously struck up a deep relationship, and, and Onesimus was in some manner serving Paul, helping him in his imprisonment in Rome. And so Paul, it appears with some reluctance, as we know from the earlier verses, sends Onesimus back to Philemon and does so with these exhortations directly to Philemon. This epistle is written to Philemon. It incorporates the church. It's not necessarily completely directed at the church, but they're brought in to basically observe and to realize what it means to be living in the context of new life in Jesus Christ. And Philemon is going to be their example. Philemon is going to be exhibit one in Paul's presentation of what it means to be a Christian. And so for us too today, we need to keep those things in mind and consider too the exhortation that Paul gives to Philemon and the magnitude of it. In verse 17, we're reminded that Paul would anticipate that Philemon would receive Onesimus back as if Paul himself were coming back as if Paul was going to walk through the door rather than Onesimus. And he's basically saying to Philemon, how would you greet me if I were to arrive and show up in your home today? Well, I want you to receive Onesimus in the very same way that you would receive me. And that's quite compelling, isn't it? That's significant. That's certainly something that, that really strikes to the heart of how it is that we would interact and receive someone in the context of what Onesimus had done to Philemon. We've talked about the likely feelings that Philemon would have had about Onesimus. He's not aware. He's not getting text messages from Paul or Epaphras or anybody else. He's not getting telegrams. No one's called him on the phone. This all of a sudden just happens. He just shows up, and here he is with a letter from Paul directly to him to say, Hey, Philemon, I expect you to act like a Christian in the context of how you receive him back. And so receive him as you would me. Then Paul does something amazing. This is really a, a great picture. And I told you really that, that, that Philemon is Colossians in application, and it really is. Verse 18, he says to Philemon, but if he has wronged, and that if is important because perhaps Paul did not fully understand the context of everything that Onesimus had done or why he had run away. There's, there's some issue in that context, but he does say, but if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This is an amazing picture. This is an amazing picture of Paul acting as the mediator. And it's a picture of Jesus Christ as well, who mediates for us. It's also a picture of the principle of propitiation. The idea of assuming a debt that someone else owes and paying it at sacrifice to yourself. That's exactly what's going on here. It speaks to the idea of a cancellation of a debt. A debt that someone could never, ever, ever, ever repay in any context. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Look at what Paul is doing. Paul says to Philemon, I want you to accept him as you would me. And oh, by the way, I'm going to take care of anything that he owes you. Now, we don't know how much it was. We don't know how large that debt is. It's likely that he took enough that it mattered. 
He, he didn't steal a couple shekels. It apparently was something of a significant magnitude that he felt it necessary to flee and to flee a long way. He, he just didn't go to Canton. He went to Rome. And it's a long ways. We've talked about that. We've talked about how far that is. He was getting out of Dodge because he would know and he would understand what would happen to a slave who was captured not only as a runaway, but as a thief. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. You cannot lose the significance of this setting. So you have Onesimus, the runaway slave, who is considered property in the context of Roman law, who is also now presumably a thief. He leaves. He finds Paul. God providentially brings them together. God saves him. What a miracle this is. It's amazing. Paul sends him back, and he says to him, I'm going to demonstrate to you the reality of what your conversion looks like, Philemon, through Onesimus. I'm going to remind you that you too are a great debtor, and that you too had someone pay your debt for you that you could never, ever repay. Paul, it's interesting what Paul does. Paul subtly, well, not subtly, kind of directly, but there's a, there's a subtle underpinning to what Paul says um, when he says to him in verse, um, uh, verse 19, I, will, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. <laughs> so what he's saying to Philemon is that Hmm. I seem to recall an occasion when you too were a great debtor, when you too owed someone something that you could not pay. And didn't that person forgive you that great debt too, Philemon? That's the subtle underpinning of Paul's little parenthetical statement to Philemon there. And it carries a lot of weight. So let's keep in mind some things that we have here, some things that are very significant. For Paul, he's communicating to Philemon a very important principle. The principle of propitiation is pictured here. So let's look at verse 18. Paul says to Philemon, but if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Well, certainly the Bible communicates to us that Jesus paid a debt for us that we could never repay, that our debt was paid, was charged to his account. This pictures the, the idea, the doctrine, the principle in Scripture of propitiation, which is spoken of in Scripture, Romans 3.25, 1 John 2.2. 2. We're going to go to those passages in a moment. But keep in mind what the word propitiation means. And it's an important word because the, the word is in the Bible. So that's important. So you need to understand what the words in the Bible mean. And to better understand the book of Philemon, you, understand, you need to understand the doctrine of propitiation. So let's take a moment. Importantly, the word propitiation means to appease and avert anger or wrath. To appease and avert anger or or wrath. That's what the word propitiation means. 
What do we understand from Scripture? We understand that the cross of Jesus Christ was needed to appease God's wrath against sinners. God hates sin. The wages of sin is death. God is going to judge those who remain in sin unless his wrath is taken away, unless there is a sense in which the price is paid. There's a cancellation, if you will. Something averts it. Something takes that anger or wrath away. So propitiation implies four things that are important to us, four things. There's the offense to be taken away, number one. The offense to be taken away. Number two, there's an offended person who needs to be pacified. There's an offended person who needs to be pacified. Number three, there's a guilty person. A guilty person. And number four, there's a sacrifice of atonement offered for the offense. So those four principles are very important. And clearly those are at play here with Paul and Philemon in the picture that he is painting. Paul himself is using himself to give Philemon an example of this. And certainly in the book of Colossians, that, that, is, that is explained as well. Let's go to Colossians for a moment. Colossians chapter 2. Verses 13 and 14. And as I said, Philemon is Colossians in application. And so verse 18 of, Colossians, of Philemon is Colossians 2, 13 and 14 in application. Paul's giving an example of the meaning of, these, of this verse. And of course, others in the Bible as well. But inasmuch as these two letters came together, it's likely that there was a connection being made in the context of demonstrating the reality of these very principles. And I would anticipate, too, that Philemon, having been well taught by Epaphras, would have understood these things. But Paul's letter to the Colossians brings and teases these issues out in further depth. And so in Colossians 2.13, he says this, and he would have been reminding Philemon of this. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our what? Transgressions. There is the offense. So you have the offended person and you have the offense, the guilty, the guilt. Remember? You got to have, we're all guilty. We all stand condemned. I read Romans chapter 5. It stands for that principle. Remember, we're all in who? Adam. And what's the problem with Adam. He sinned and he fell and all of his progeny fell with him. That's you and me. We're all sons and daughters of Adam. So there we are. We got a problem. So we're in this verse. Verse 14, Paul says this, a beautiful passage. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Wow. Now, back in Philemon, Philemon, Paul says to Philemon, I know Onesimus owes you something. It may be a lot. He's not only a runaway, he's a thief. I'm going to pay it all for him. That way, there's, a, there's no strain in the relationship between you. There's no sense on your part that there is something owed or doing from Onesimus to you. I'm going to take it. 
I'm going to assume it. And in fact, what Paul does, he actually says to Philemon, I'm going to give you an IOU. The language that's used by Paul ultimately is legal forensic language. He is saying to you, I am going to satisfy the legal obligation that, that Onesimus owes you by assuming it fully on myself. I'm going to pay it all in full forever. That's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's the exact picture of the atoning work of Jesus Christ and how he has taken away and canceled that debt. Notice Paul uses the language of debt in Colossians 2, 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt. That, that language there is even language, certificate, kind of a judgment, like a judgment lien. You know, you go to court and you, 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 you're, you win the case, you get a judgment against somebody, and that judgment then is, is converted into a lien. It's not only a judgment, that that judgment can be filed and it attaches permanently to that person until paid in full. It follows them wherever they go. It shows up on their credit reports. It shows up in, in background searches. It shows up in a litany of things. It's always there until paid in full. You can't even buy property if you've got a judgment lien. The bank will make you take care of the judgment before they'll give you a loan or a mortgage on a property. You've got to take care of it. So too you and I. We had to take care of what we owed. That is the full fulfillment of the law in every context. Perfect, perpetual, perfect obedience. We couldn't do it. We can't do it. We won't do it. But God did it. So Paul is giving Philemon this magnificent picture. And this is like being read to the church. And people are, wow. I'm imagining in my mind's eye, I'm going to ask him when I get there, but I'm imagining right now that they're, they're thinking about that. They're looking at this in the context of the, the, the application and wondering, Philemon, what are you, what are you going to do? He's, he's offering to pay it. And, and the idea, too, of this being read to the church is that the, the picture presents a body life that comes alongside Philemon and encourages him in the context of, of the wonder of his own salvation and his own redemption and theirs as well. Something else that propitiation takes care of is that it allows then there to be a personal relationship with a person when there is an offense that was present. Sin is the offense that is the barrier between God and man, a thrice holy God. Propitiation removes the offense. And the offense then is placed on someone else, assumed by someone else, carried by someone else forever and ever. Now the picture, of course, is even more vivid when we consider, again, Onesimus. What does Onesimus have? Go ahead, name one thing. What does he have? A bank account? Silver? He's got the clothes on his back, and they're probably not very nice. Maybe no shoes on his feet. Slaves weren't often given shoes. 
Only the wealthy typically had shoes. They may have had something, but it typically wasn't much. They certainly weren't wearing Nikes or New Balance or Hocus or whatever else. No art support. Sorry, Joel. He had nothing. And here's the thing. Picture this, too. This is, this is so beautiful. Onesimus going back to Philemon. And he's, he's going back voluntarily at the exhortation of Paul, knowing what God has done for him, that he has saved him, that he has forgiven him, and he hopes to be received back with grace. And he carries maybe this letter. Tychicus may have had it. We don't know. But this letter is there. Perhaps he had had it read to him at that point or was able to read himself. I don't know. But he understands that Paul is pleading on his behalf. It's another picture of that mediatory work that Jesus Christ is always doing for us. He's always engaged in that. Paul, the mediator for Onesimus. Christ, my mediator before God. What a wonderful picture this is. We have such depth of demonstration of this love for us. Look at Hebrews. Just a couple pages over. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. We just read in Colossians 2, 13 through 14 about the cancellation of the certificate of debt. And, and here we see another picture of that being painted for us in this, this amazing passage from Hebrews 10. We'll read a portion of this this morning. The real emphasis will be verses 8 through 14, but let's get the context. Go back to verse 1, Hebrews 10, 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of the thing, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin, of sins? But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me, to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law, then he said, and I love that, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Justification, reconciliation. Verse 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That means it doesn't ever have to be done again like it used to be in the Old Testament. 
Every year, the offering, the sacrifices, over and over and over and over. It had to be done all the time, constantly, constantly, constantly. But when Jesus died and canceled the debt, the certificate of our debt, that was done once and for all. Verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. And their sin, and then he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember every once in a while. Is that what it says? What? I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Why? It's not needed. So for Paul, writing to Philemon, he's saying to him, I'm going to, I'm going to pay this once and for all. I'm going to take care of the debt forever. Onesimus can never, ever pay it. He can't, he doesn't, he can't pay Philemon back. He can't give him what he owes him. And so he appeals to Philemon on the basis of what God himself has done for him in the picture of his own salvation. Forgive him. And oh, by the way, Philemon, I'll take care of it. I'll pay it. You don't even have to think about it. You don't have to be inconvenienced. You don't have to, get your, you don't have to do anything. I'll take care of it. It's paid in full forever, forever. Let's look at Romans for a moment. Romans 3. Now look at this. Romans 3. Again, we're talking about the idea of propitiation. The idea of, of having a debt paid by someone else, something that you owe, the person has the rightful obligation to extract it from you, and now someone else comes along and takes care of it for you. Romans 3.21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Verse 23, and here's the problem, okay? This is why you're all sitting out there right now as debtors, okay? You're all Onesimuses, okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The establishment of the legal debt obligation. You've got a problem. You've got a massive problem. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. And there's only one way to fix it. 
either your, well, there's two ways, I guess we could say, your own perfect, perpetual obedience. How's that going for you? How's that doing? Personal, perfect, perpetual obedience. All the time, 24-7, 365 days a year, from the moment of conception until you're in the grave. How's that, how's, how's that happening? It's not. And so we then have to deal with that issue. How is that rectified? How is that solved? How is that massive, massive problem, that massive debt obligation eliminated? All of us. Now we look. Being justified, verse 24, as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So the principle of justification Jesus paid it all. We are placed now in a different legal standing. There is a forensic quality, there's a legal quality to the death and the atoning work of Jesus Christ. The Father, upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the blood application made to the elect, must accept the sacrifice. Do you see this? There's a legal, there's a legal issue here. Jesus Christ is the propitiation. He is the offering. Verse 25. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what do I do? I must look to someone else to take care of the debt. I must look to someone else to cancel out the certificate of debt. Who do I need? I need someone who personally, perfectly, and perpetually obeyed the law for me. Who is that? Jesus Christ. What does it require that I do? By faith alone, I believe that. I believe it. What do we do when we believe in Jesus Christ? We believe that. The Gospels are given to us to demonstrate that He is indeed the Savior who is sufficient, that He is indeed the God-man, that He is the Son of God, and that He indeed fulfilled all that God required. And so by faith, even the smallest amount of faith, the mustard seed of faith, I look to Jesus Christ, and I look to him alone, only him, as the one who paid it all for me. Now, the wonderful thing about it is this. Once it's paid, it's always paid. It's paid forever. It never comes back. It can't come back. You can't lose the payment. You can't lose your salvation. It's not based upon how faithful you are. When you get up in the morning or lay your head down at the night, you're not laying on your bed thinking about your faithfulness. You're thinking about the fact that Jesus Christ paid it all for you. You're not faithing in your faithfulness. You're resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the beautiful picture for Onesimus is that when Paul says, I'm going to pay it, Onesimus then gets to rest in the fact that Paul is going to pay it. He doesn't have to ever think about it again himself. Ever. 
So for us, we get to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We get to revel in the wonder of that because that certificate of debt has been forever canceled. So Paul, back in Philemon, if you want to turn back there with me, verse 18, but if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. The thing is this, too. There's a twofold application of what Paul is doing here in the context of intervening as this, um, the, the, the propitiator, the propitiation, if you will. If he has wronged you in any way. So that, that, that goes beyond the money part, part of it, too. That just goes to the issue of he was a runaway. He ran away. So he's saying to him, I want, you to, I want you to deal with that as if it was me. So just, just get that out of your head. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, I will take care of it. He wants Philemon to let go of it all. Forget it. I've got it. I've taken care of it. It's over. Love Onesimus as a brother. He's yours forever. He's important to me, so much so that I'm going to intervene as the mediator, the one who comes in, and I'm going to take care of this perpetually for both of you. What an amazing picture. What an outstanding demonstration by Paul of the application of the very doctrines that he will then end up teaching to the church in Colossae in this little epistle. Unbelievable. Verse 19, he says to Philemon, Paul, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. So he wants to make certain that Philemon understands that this isn't somebody else doing this. This is really Paul. To emphasize the magnitude of what he's offering, to drive it home, if you will. Again, he says, I will repay it. He says it twice. I'll take care of it in verse 18. I'll repay it. I'll do it. This is the IOU. This is the, this is the legal commercial language that Paul is using. The Greek language here for the context of paying it back is a, a commercial debt obligation secured by a cognovit promissory note. A mortgage almost. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. It's really me, Paul, and I'm going to pay it. Then he says, <laughs> almost tongue-in-cheek in a way, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Don't forget, Philemon, you too were once a debtor who could not pay his debt. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the fact that Philemon, according to church history and what we understand, along with Epaphras and others, was saved under the ministry of Paul in Ephesus. And that Epaphras and Philemon then came back to Colossae, Philemon being well off and has enough assets and, and property that he could host the church in his home, does that. And so Paul then says, listen, don't forget, you too were a debtor. And God mercifully and graciously canceled your certificate of debt. 
Don't forget that. So the appeal then, too, is what? His hope is that this. Philemon, I'm going to take care of everything. I'm going to pay it. All that's owed, I'm going to take care of everything, how you've been wronged, all that you're owed. But really what he's saying to Philemon, I hope that your reflection on God's grace will cause you to do what? Well, let's find out. Colossians 3, 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. His hope for Philemon is that he says to Onesimus when he walks in the door, he embraces him, hugs him, and says to him, it's forgotten and forgiven. You owe me nothing. The implication here, too, is that perhaps he would even free him. The undergirding of this is that Philemon would perhaps even be so moved that he would send him back to Paul. This is, this is beautiful. It's truly remarkable. I mean, all of this in this little epistle, this personal letter, these wonderful pictures of these fascinating, deep doctrines given to us in a demonstrable, real-time way. the magnitude and wonder of God's grace, what we have been forgiven, how we've been cleansed, how we've been secured, how we've been justified, sanctified, all of it ought to cause us as we reflect on this passage to pause and to ponder those things anew, to give deeper, more heartfelt consideration to them. There's an interesting thought, too, that there's a play here on Paul's part. There's many who believe that Paul was using a pun, even, to drive home uh, the, the idea of what is going on. In verse 10 and 11 of Philemon, there's, there's, there's something going on with the word Onesimus, which means useful. Onesimus is useless as a runaway thief, but he comes back to him now in fulfillment of what his name actually means. And in some ways, he's saying to Philemon in verse 19, the same kind of thing. I want you to be useful to me. I want you to prove yourself useful. Paul had a clever way of writing, and, and, and certainly those ideas are at play here with respect to what he's saying to Philemon. Well, time is short. We're going to leave off there, pick up next week with the balance of the epistle and finish up, Lord willing, next Sunday.
But I hope that this morning that you see yourself, all of you Onesimuses out there who've had your debt paid, your debt canceled, your debt forgiven, your debt forgotten. In Colossians 2, we're told that that debt, that judgment lien was nailed to the cross. Who's going to take it off? You can't even take it off. How's that? How's that? I trust this has been an encouragement to you, and I hope that the Lord will use these words to work in your heart and your life and that you too will appreciate what's been done for you through the finished work of Jesus Christ. It begs the question, are you still a debtor? Do you still owe God? And how's that going for you? Have you paid the debt? How are you going to pay the debt? When will you pay the debt? With what are you going to pay the debt? You don't have enough. You will never have enough. And this is the beauty of the gospel. It's so very simple. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Simple faith in Christ alone is all that we're called to do. And even that faith is a gift from God. It's not even your own. You rest in his finished work, you move on, and you revel in the wonder of having that debt canceled forever. Jesus really did pay it all. He paid it all. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I would beg you, I would come out there right now and I would shake you, I would grab you by the shoulders and I would say, man, woman, turn, please turn to Jesus Christ. You don't know if you have this afternoon. You don't know if you have tomorrow. All you have is right this second. Now, if your debt's been paid, praise God, rejoice, smile, rest. It is finished. It is done. And how good is that, right? How good is that? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this encouraging word this morning. Thank you for this picture of our own salvation, our redemption, the payment of a debt that couldn't be paid. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to reflect on these wonderful truths. May they be an encouragement to us through this week. And may we truly understand and comprehend that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.